good to come together today to worship our God, to consider the things that He would have us to consider in order to be more pleasing to Him. In that song, which we sang the fullness of, 12 times we said, Oh, to be like Thee, because being like Jesus is a good goal for us to set. Oh, to be like Thee, our blessed Redeemer. I invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 13, where we'll begin here in just a couple of moments, in John chapter 13, and we're glad to have you with us today. We have a, a number of visitors with us. We have a number of individuals who are still getting used to this community as calling it your home, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you that this is your first time here, we welcome you especially, and for those who are members here, it's good to be together again. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to be with you over the course of the last couple weeks. You know, I was thinking about this over the last couple days. A couple weeks ago, I saw the beauty of southwestern Virginia and the mountains that rise and the drive and how pretty that was, and that was really nice to see. And then last week, I was able to see where the Pacific meets the coast in Huntington Beach and Brea and San Diego, and those are very beautiful places as well. But I'm not sure that anything beats the beauty of seeing people that you love and that you miss when you're gone from them. And you are all very gracious and very kind that when I come back, rather than saying, you're back already, you say, we're glad to have you back. And I'm glad to be back and to be with you and to be encouraged by you. It's with two different churches over the course of the last couple of weeks, one in Martinsville, Virginia, where the... A record crowd of the week that we were together was 22. And uh, so that was nice to be with a small group and get to know the entire congregation in the course of just three or four days. And then with a slightly larger group in Berea, California, where there are some good friends of mine who I've known for a dozen or more years. But I'm glad to be with this group, whether it be small or whether it be large, doesn't matter. What matters is that we're doing what the Lord has asked us to do. And this is a group that is a little bit larger, and we're thankful for the blessings that we have. And let us never take for granted the blessings that God has provided for us. We are commanded to love one another. And there are a lot of songs that talk about loving one another and being like Jesus means that we love one another because that is his command and that's the way that he lived his life. And I think we all understand and we all agree that loving one another is important. But why is it important? Why does it matter so much? And one could say this is going to be a very short sermon because the Bible tells me to love one another. Stand and sing. But there's more to it than just what the scriptures say in terms of it's important to do. And I want to talk about a handful of things as to why loving one another matters so much. I want to suggest to you in our study together this morning that I came up with five big reasons, which nicely fits on a hand. The old preachers used to say, preach on your five fingers, right? And so we're going to enable us to come away with five different observations. And the first of those is that it proves that we follow Jesus. We are wanting to follow Jesus. In essence, we are wanting to be like him in the way that we conduct ourselves. 
And one of the key things that Jesus taught us to do was to walk the walk. I asked you to open to John chapter 13, but very quickly, actually turn over to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7. Remember, Jesus here is talking to the religious leaders of the first century, those that were all about talking a good game, but they were unwilling to live out the mission that Jesus had laid out for them. And he says, you are hypocrites. You say one thing, but you do a different thing. And he actually says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so we could teach about the importance of showing charity to one another, but fall short of showing that love to one another. And that's what we want to avoid, not just this morning, but in everything that we do and in all that we say. Given the fact that Jesus tells us to walk the walk, we need to connect the way he loved with the way that he is central to our message and the essence of who he is and what he is about. The way that we love was and is central to his message. So that takes us to John chapter 13. We're going to look at about a half a dozen very familiar passages today. And I want you to read these passages with those so-called fresh eyes as if you've never read them before. But in John chapter 13, beginning in about verse 31, read with me where it says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. And then he says, in a very loving way, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come, so now I say to you. And then, as only Jesus can masterfully construct this beautiful statement, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that, we are, that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, one of the great issues with studying God's word is the fact that it is very simple and straightforward. And this is simple. And straightforward. But yet following this command of loving one another is sometimes a challenging thing to do. Some people are very lovable. And some require a little more long-suffering. Some people it's easy to get along with. And others you have challenges. But you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul is making that list of individuals who make up the church at Corinth. He says, such were some of you. Remember the church of Corinth was made up of former blasphemers and former idolaters and former individuals who were covetous in their very nature. But yet they were all united in faith. And as we sometimes sing, we are one. And we are united together. Blessed be the tie that binds us together, our hearts in Christian love. John here records for us as the apostle of love the words of Jesus which instill in us the importance of loving one another even as I have loved you. 
That means that I must be willing to give myself, both my life and the essence of everything that is within it, for you. Even if I don't necessarily get along with you very well. Remember, Jesus did not go to the cross for people that were loving him and saying this is a, a shame that he is dying. But rather he was hanging there on the cross, being spat upon by individuals who absolutely deplored him and thought that's what he deserved. In 1 John chapter 4, as we also look at the apostle of love, in 1 John chapter 4, John talks about this again. And he says in verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the conclusion that the Holy Spirit is pushing us to. If God loves us, I've got to love you. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. It helps if we see Jesus as our role model in the way that we love. Now, some would rightly say that you're really telling me that I've got to actually love someone to the point that I'm willing to give my life for them. And remember, Jesus actually says it's one thing to lay down your life for your friend, but it's another thing to lay down your life for your enemy. This is the way that we are to treat one another. This is the way that we are to engage in a relationship with one another because it proves that we follow Jesus. We want to show that to others. Well, as I mentioned at the outset of our study this morning, it is a direct command from God. And we look at commands from God in a very serious tone, and rightly so, because when God says do this or don't do that, we better do that or not do that, whatever the case may be. But when we look at God's commands, one actually sees the rationale of such a command. Now, sometimes God's commands may not at the outset make sense to us. That doesn't mean that we don't follow them. Just because something doesn't make sense doesn't mean that we don't do it. Consider, if you would, for example, the parent or child relationship. A parent may say something to a child. The child doesn't understand. Why are you making me do this? Why are you forcing me to do this? Why are you not allowing me to do the other thing? And there are reasons for it that sometimes we as parents say, because I told you so. But there's always a rationale behind it. Well, let's look again at two passages. Again, in John's writings. John is the apostle of love that we sometimes nickname him accordingly. But in John chapter 15, look with me, if you would, at verse 12 beginning. And then we'll turn over to 1 John and look there in just a moment. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, where we find in this section where he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
That's a very powerful statement made by the Savior. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Do you want to be a friend of Jesus? Of course you do. And of course I do as well. In order to be a friend of Jesus, I need to do whatever he commands of me. And then he says in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. It is a direct command from God that you love individuals that are easy to love and that you love people that are hard to love. That is true in the world in the sense that we have a relationship with our friends and also with those who are not our friends in the world. And that is true in the church. You know, I made reference to the fact that a smaller congregation, that you have the opportunity to meet all of them in the course of a three or four day meeting. That may not happen. You may not have that luxury in a congregation that's pushing 200. But one of the things that we have to be wary of and be concerned with and be careful of is that in a larger congregation, it may be that we don't get along with everyone all the time. And certainly we have seen larger congregations split or at the very least stressed because people are not loving one another as they should. Let that never be said of us. Let that never be said of you. Again, going back to one of John's letters in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23, this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. You notice the word commandment used twice in that one simple verse? It is a commandment that we love one another. And if you would, note that the following, this, that following this command doesn't depend on when it is easy. I made reference to Matthew chapter 5. I don't want to quickly read those verses in the great sermon on the mountaintop and then turn back to Romans in just a moment. But in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That would be a more convenient doctrine. Would it not? I mean, that'd be easier to do. I get to pick and choose who I love. Oh, I'm, I'm good with that. Because there are certain people that I like to like. And there are certain people that they just get on my nerves. And if I could hate them, that would be easier. He says, but I'm saying to you something different, radical. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, since rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. The point being, he says, if you love those who love you, big deal. Even people of the world treat others that way. He says, if you greet your brethren only... What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
When Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, he was talking to a group of individuals that were redeemed, but yet had struggles. And he says in chapter 5, in verse 6, he says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. For perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I love the terminology that is used in verse 8 where God demonstrates or manifests his own love. There's the key word in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So if you like circling things in your Bible to underlining, maybe circle the word love and then draw an arrow to Christ died for us. Christ died for us because he loved us. And God's rationale in making this a command is very clear in two different things. Number one, we are to be more like him. Oh, to be like thee, blessed redeemer. And being like him will make us stand out. And we want to stand out for good reasons. We want the world to look at us and say, you are peculiar, as Titus 2 verse 14 renders it. We want the world to see us as being different and transformed, as Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 suggest. And the idea is, is you and I need to be different from the world. And the world teaches, and the world practices, and our co-workers will treat us in ways that if, hey, you are wronging me, I have every right to wrong you. You cut me off, I'll cut you off. You say something mean to me, I'll say something mean to you. And in fact, that's the counsel that you get from your co-workers. I know it is, because I hear it. Not from my co-worker. <laughs> but when I've worked in the secular word, world, and when I hear of the things that you guys have to put up with when you're working with people, and they say, why are you being so kind? Why are you still being loving? Why are you still being considerate? That person is mean and evil to you. You need to cut them off. You need to be mean to them. Not so. That's not what Jesus teaches. It is a direct command from God that we love one another, and that is inclusive of all men and all women. Number three, loving one another is important because it is the basis of God's divine law. As the perfect God, there is a definitive, and let's underline that word definitive, right and wrong in following him. Which, by the way, that's already controversial in the politically correct world, right? This is a problem in the world, that there is a right and a wrong. Who are you to tell me what is right? Who are you to tell me what's wrong? Well, I'm really no one, but the Bible, God's word, the sword, the authoritative commands that come from our creator and his divine law, those things matter the most. I'm going to look at two passages here very quickly. One in Matthew and again in the book of Romans. In Matthew 22, in verse 40, a passage that you are likely familiar with. In Matthew 22, as we are approaching the end of the life of Jesus. Teacher, verse 36, the question is asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answers and says in verse 37, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is likened unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now just kind of hang on to that in your brain for just a moment and turn over, if you would, to Romans chapter 13, where our scripture reading is from. And I appreciate our brother reading Romans chapter 13, verses 8, 9, and 10. An absolutely wonderful passage that is so applicable and that has a role in every aspect of our life. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. We're going to come back and make four big drawing conclusions in our study today. And one of those is going to come directly from verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. What law? Human law? No. U.S. Code? No. The law of the state of Tennessee? Not so. But the divine law of God is that we owe one another love. And then he goes on in verses 9 and 10 as we read. He says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bow not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The point being is that if you look at those ten commandments, if you look at those universal things that make for a good society, they are all rooted in the idea of loving one another. Because if I love you, I will not steal, I will not covet, I will not bear false witness, I will not do any of those things because I love you. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. God's law and love belong together. Because as we pointed out here in Romans chapter 13 verse 8, it is an owed treatment. I owe you love. You owe me love. And he says that's what you owe one another. Now, if I let you borrow $20 and you pay me back the next week, you may say, well, I've, I've owed you that. But that's nothing in comparison to what we truly owe one another. And that is, I owe you love. And again, I would say that as brothers and sisters in Christ, the majority of the time, that's really kind of second nature. And that's a relatively easy thing. But there are times where it's difficult to owe love to certain individuals. Whether it be brothers and sisters that we have difficulty getting along with, or people in the world. But you owe that because you are a Christian, because we are trying to be like him. And the second aspect of this is that being good without love is non-divine. So a person can say, well, I'm good, I do good, but if you don't have love, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's like a sound of a gong or a cymbal that's there that is useless and non-musical and non-fundamental to the treatment that you're providing to the person that you otherwise say you care about. Let me suggest number four in our list of five things here. That it is the motivation for service. Love one another. It is the motivation for service. No such thing as Christianity without service. 
We provide service to each other all the time. We are very service-oriented. We serve each other with rides. We serve each other with very tangible things like food, sometimes with uh, finances, one another. We serve each other with encouragement and with words, whether they be written or whether they be spoken. We encourage one another with our faith and our stance in in, in doing what God has asked us to do. We serve one another. And the reason that we do so is because that would be Christianity without love. Without service, it's without love. Turn over, if you would, to the book of Galatians chapter 5. And I want us to read just one or two verses there in Galatians chapter 5. And I want us to begin in verse 11. He says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. And he goes on to say, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off, a a takeoff of the idea of circumcision. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Is it possible to serve without love? Just think about that for a moment. Is it possible to serve without? without love. And I think we all have to agree, yeah, I think that is possible. I could serve out of obligation because I absolutely have to. I will help you out, but I will not enjoy doing it, is the, is the idea behind it. I will give my time, my talent, my treasure, but I will do so without love. That is possible. So it is possible to serve absent of love. But remember in Romans chapter 12, where we referenced a few moments ago, that we are to renew ourselves, which includes the reasons that we serve. And that's what makes us as Christians so different from the world, in that we are happy to serve. And I don't know if it is a Southern thing. I don't know if it's a Tennessee thing. I don't know if it is a Northfield thing, but I've noticed in the time that I've been here, that this is not only a congregation that knows the importance of serving, but seems to really enjoy doing it, and that when you call upon someone to serve, they snap their fingers and say, I'd be happy to do so. I'd be happy to provide. And when you say, is there something that I can do, there is a real evidence of the willingness to actually follow through and say, yeah, I'm willing to do that. That's a good sign, and so you need to be commended for that. Let me suggest fifthly and finally, loving and serving and loving one another accordingly is key to our relationships. Throughout Scripture, it is clear that the relationships that we have as brethren is rooted in loving one another. I want to look at three passages here very quickly or three aspects. Number one, basic brethren treatment is all about love. Again, we turn over to John's letters, first in 1 John and then in 2 John. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11, the text, go back to verse 10, he says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or separated or distinguished. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that we heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Turn over, if you would, just a page or so in your Bibles to the short book of Second John, 
and look, if you would, at the fifth verse. He says, now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. I don't know exactly what was going on in the first century that John saw it necessary to write these things. We certainly have some uh, parameters or understanding of what was going on in the culture of the first century, late in the first century when John was writing. But the point that I'm trying to make, I guess, is simply this, that if first century saints from time to time struggled with loving one another, and they needed to be reminded of that being the the basic commandment of their relationship, it stands to reason that 21st century Christians need to be reminded of it as well. Because just as they may have struggled with, with it, we could struggle with it as well. Which brings us to a second observation, and that is mutual cleansing of brethren should lead to a mutual treatment based on love. How do I get that? Well, go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and read with me in verse 20. He, talking about Jesus in verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, the spirit, and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This isn't something that we do casually, haphazardly, or just when it's convenient. But rather, we love one another at all times, even those that are a little bit more difficult to love. And then while we're in the epistle of 1 Peter Caring about sin, number three, and its effect on each other is a direct result of love. Turn over, if you would, to chapter four and verse seven. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and be watchful in your prayers. And above all things, what is it, Peter, above all things I'm supposed to do? What's paramount in my relationship with others? Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. It is evident to me from these six to ten passages that we've looked at today that we are not to just simply say loving one another is important, but rather we are to do so because it matters so very much. Let me conclude with the four reasons why I think this matters so very much as outlined in the scriptures today. It matters so much such that let's remember Jesus' love on a daily basis so that we can be motivated to follow his example. After all, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. That's a daily reminder for us. You see, we can't choose to be loving six days of the week and then take a day off. We have to do it seven days a week. And someone would say, well, you're telling me something that's very difficult to do. Yes, it is very difficult sometimes to do. But we do what is difficult because we do what is right, because we do what God has asked us to do. Secondly, let's be aware that our loving example is key in influencing non-Christians. There are lots of things that you and I can do to uh, share the message of the gospel with others. 
But one of the things that we can do is to set the example in loving others and be the example in influencing those in the world. And in a world where people are taught, like we talked about 20 minutes ago, hey, if they're mean to you, you can be mean to them. And yet we refuse to do so. We will stick out for a good purpose and for good reason. Let me suggest number three, remember we owe love. I owe you love. You owe me love. And we owe that to a world that is fraught with so much uncertainty and so much ugliness. Let's just be people who are loving. And the greatest love that we can show for them is to share with them the gospel, whether that be through our words, but certainly through our actions and our deeds. And let's remember, finally, that our love is instrumental and vital in helping rid the world of sin. That's why we love one another, because the greatest love that you'll ever have for another human being is to share with them the gospel message. Again, that could be with a personal study in which you engage. It could be with an invitation to some sort of a service like this. It could be with your example of love for others. Loving one another matters so very much. And we hope that today you'll accept the love that God has. We talked a lot about the way that Jesus loves us as being the motivation for the way that we are to love others. And hopefully... These things will be helpful this week, in the coming weeks, for the rest of this year, and for the rest of our lives in showing the love that we have for our fellow man. We show our love for God, who loves you deeply. In fact, he loved you so much that John 3.16, which is probably the most quoted verse, tells us that he sent his son and gave his son to die for us, that we would have hope of everlasting life that we can have our sins purged away, that we can have our sins removed forever. We hope that this morning, if you've not made the corrections in your life, whether that be as someone who's never been baptized and you need to make your life right with God, God loves you very much so and gave his son so that you can be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. Or if you are a baptized believer, if you are a child of God, you've already made that commitment, and you've strayed. Perhaps you're not loving as you should. Perhaps you're not living as you should. Whatever the case may be, we would love to help you and love to encourage you. If we can in any way help you spiritually, let us know while we stand and while we sing.